Good morning. Well, I just, uh, I just want to thank Chuck for that, that powerful song and just how powerfully he sings it. You know, you might not know this, but Chuck has been here for quite a while. In fact, tomorrow we, spell it, we celebrate a special chuck anniversary. Did you know that? <laughs> chuck, how long have you been here? Uh, full-time, well, part-time now. Uh-huh. Just less than a year. Just less than a year. <laughs> Man. And you... All total 46. 46 years Chuck has been, has been serving here. Yeah, that's right. Give him a round of applause. So sometime this week, you ought to, you ought to give, give Chuck a call. I think tomorrow's his chuck anniversary. So make sure to, to, tech, to text him tomorrow and, and thank him for, for serving here at Catawba for so long. Uh, serving in a church, you know, it has a lot of amazing perks. But it also, like, it can be challenging. Um, there's a lot of challenges that go a long way. There's a lot of sacrifices that are made. Um, and Chuck has, is not, uh, it's not any different. He's, he's made a lot of sacrifices through the years and endured a lot of challenges. Um, and so I love joking around with Chuck. I love the way he gives me a hard time. I love the way that I can get up here and give him a hard time. Um, but I also love serving alongside Chuck and praying with Chuck and, and doing ministry with Chuck. Um, so if you get a chance this week or today, give him a holler and, and let him know that you appreciate it. All right? Thank you, Chuck. So we're going to be in John chapter 8 today. John chapter 8. As you turn to John chapter 8, I just want to, um, uh, I want to give you a little story. Um, sometimes wisdom is a little bit better than instinct, wouldn't you say? Just as like sometimes instinct is, is better than wisdom, Right? You know, one example I think of that is in, is in the hit TV show, The Office. There's this episode where one of the main characters, the, the boss of The Office, um, decides that he wants to go and survive in the woods alone. I call it the, it's the Survivor Man episode. And in this episode, his friend Dwight follows him around at a distance. His friend, he doesn't know that, uh, that Dwight's following him, but his but Michael's out there, and he's learning to survive in the woods, so he's cutting the pants off of his soup legs, and he's tying them around the head, and he's saying, like, this will protect me from the sun. And he's, you know, sharpens a, a stick and makes a spear, and he's like, you couldn't come a moment too soon, because I'm hungry. And then he goes around, and he finds these mushrooms on the ground, and he, he, he's like, these are so nutritious. So he bends down to, to pick up these mushrooms to eat them. And he's, like, explaining to the camera the whole time, like, it's, like you're watching Survivor Man. He's doing all these things wrong. In the meantime, Dwight's following him. He's like catching, catching chicken eggs and cooking them over a fire and eating and, and making a shelter. Um, and you see this c- comparison and contrast between Michael's instincts and Dwight's knowledge. In that moment where he, he bends down and he grabs those mushrooms off the ground, he just immediately sticks them in his mouth. Not knowing what they were, but just immediately sticks them in the mouth. And you see this guy, Dwight, just sprint out of the woods and just tackle him and sticks his hand in Michael's throat and just like pulling the mushrooms out. See, in that moment, Michael's instincts failed him. But Dwight, knowing more and knowing that the mushrooms were poisonous, was in a better position, right? Sometimes our instincts fail us. And what we're going to be doing in this passage of Scripture right, now, right here is we're going to be looking at how a true disciple continues in God's Word. Because Pastor Ron and I were, were talking about this sermon series, about discipleship and what a disciple is. Last week he talked about how to become a disciple, what it means to put your faith in Christ and Christ alone, what it means to recognize your sin 
and recognize what God has done through his son in offering us salvation, how to become a, a disciple. Today we're going to be talking about how a disciple continues in God's word. Because here's the thing, our instincts fail us. Our instincts are broken. They've been corrupted. They've been warped by sin. Because of that, we need God's guidance. Okay, so, so John chapter 8, verses 30 through 34. Read along with me. John chapter 8. As he was saying these things to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, Truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I've seen in the presence of the Father, so then you do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would, not, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You are doing what your father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality. They said, we have one father, God. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I did not come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convince me and convict me of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for this um, opportunity that we have to come together and to study your word. God, we thank you for your word. God, we pray for this morning. We pray for your truth to, to be made clear. God, we, we pray that your truth will affect our hearts, God, and the challenges we read um, here in Scripture, God, the challenge you give to, to your audience here, um, God, the, may it challenge our lives as well. Let us not be like the ones that James talks about who looks at a mirror and walks away unchanged, God, but let us be transformed continually. Renewing of our minds, by studying the Word, let us continue to, to grow in our relationship with you. So, God, I just pray for this morning. Pray that you would be with us, that we love you. I ask all this in your son's name. Amen. All right. So as we dig into this passage of Scripture and we talk about this idea of continuing in God's Word, and some of, your, some of your translations might say abide in God's Word. That idea of continue in or abide in means that you are immersing yourself in what Jesus is saying. You are immersing yourself in His Word and you're living in it. You're living by it. It's a 
part of you but continuing to grow in it. That's what, that's what that's the context here. That's what Jesus is saying. He opens and closes with this idea of, of listening and continuing in God's word. So, how does Jesus talk about this? Well, what I love about this passage of scripture is that he just he gets really real with us. He gets really real with these, with these Jews that he's talking to. So today, we're just going to get really real with the challenges that we face with our broken instincts, and oftentimes our selfishness, how we allow it to get in the way of our ability to understand and respond to God's word. Okay? So as we look at this, we're going to see two points. That's right, just two points. How cool is that? Two points and we're out. All right? The first point is a shallow disciple makes too much of themselves. A shallow disciple makes too much of themselves. And what we see here in this passage is that, we see it elsewhere in Scripture, is that there is a kind of belief that is not real, that is not true. In verse 31, we see, um, then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. So that's his audience. He's talking to these people who've, who are believing in him, who are claiming to believe in him. But then, what you notice in verse 44 is he, he just kind of, flips it around. He says, you are of your father the devil. and You want to carry out your father's desires. Okay? So what we, we've got to understand here is that there is a kind of belief that is not real. Pastor Ron has talked about before. There are people in the church who might not be saved. Jesus warns of this. In Matthew 7, 21, he tells us that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. And yet they might look at like us. They might seem like us. You might be thinking, well, this is strong language. Like, this, is, this got real real quick. Like, Jesus, he comes to these people who said that they believe in him, and he flips on them. He says, you're, you're not of me, you're the devil. You might be thinking, this is, this is really strong language, but at the same time, James also talks about this. James warns us that there is a faith that is dead, a faith doesn't have a growing relationship with God, a faith that is not expressing itself in works, says it is a dead faith. So a lot of times when you, when you hear this idea of a true Christian, an authentic Christian, or a living faith versus a dead faith, you might think, well, that's kind of, is there actually a faith that's dead, or is there actually a, a disciple that's not a true disciple? Let's look at this. And the problem is, this can be hard for many people to understand. See, Jesus brought into, the, into question the salvation of these Jews. He's saying, you must continue in my word if you are truly going to be a disciple. And they responded negatively to this. They don't like that. They don't like the fact that that, that idea of, of their security has been brought into question. He tells them, my word has no place among you. That's in verse 40, 37. And he tells them, you are trying to kill me a man who has told you the truth. So there's a resistance here to the truth. And then verse 43 through 44, it says, why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. It's difficult for them to understand because we're about to see, they never truly received in faith the testimony of Jesus. See, just prior to this, Jesus is explaining that he 
is the light of the world. And he explained that when his departure comes, the people who die in sin, the people who die without believing him in him are going to die in sin. So this is the warning he's, he's presented. And like Pastor Ron talked about last week, if, if we do not truly take Christ in faith, if we do not truly accept his testimony, what he accomplished on the cross, we cannot be a true disciple. James, but he goes on further to say, like, this has to be proved and tested. The problem is their, their spiritual perspective has been broken. It's warped, distorted by sin. See, like Michael Scott, our instincts are not enough. Our instincts so often come back to ourselves. One writer explains it this way, not wanting to hear leads to not being able to hear. A spiritual attitude that is focused on the individual, that is the self, what we want, what we get, is focused on the sinful desires that enslave us. This kind of unbelief becomes an attitude. Self-enclosure, hardening of the heart, and of stubbornness. This me-faith is most clearly seen in the way which we defend our own self-importance. That's what we're about to, we're about to dig into, to how these, these Jews responded to Jesus' claim to defend themselves and to protect themselves. What I'm not saying here is, here is just like any defense automatically means you're guilty. I got told that by a teacher one time who thought I did something that I didn't do. Well, she had every right because I had set the precedence of doing terrible things in class. She said, well, the fact that you're defending yourself means that you're obviously in the wrong. I'm like, you're about to see me in the principal office, and I didn't do anything. Of course I'm going to defend myself. Um, but what we see here is the way this defense is made, the way um, these Jews are going to try to justify themselves and to say everything about their faith. Let's dig in. So the first thing we're looking at is we're looking at their entitled justification. Okay? They believe that they are entitled to God's kingdom. They believe it's theirs. They want it. They think they have a right to it. And so they think they're going to get it. Um, they believe that salvation was their birthright. Twice they claimed Abraham as their father. Okay? So that, that kind of tells you where their attitude is. They think that this is something that, that's theirs. They believe that they had security because of what their ancestors accomplished. Because of the covenant that God made with Abraham, they feel like they're just beneficiaries. They're like dependents of an insurance policy that their parents took out. You know, like until I was 26, I was able to stay on my parents' insurance. And when I was 26, I got kicked out in the cold, cruel world, right? That's what happened. And that's the way, that's the, kind of their attitude right here is that they are dependents of what someone else had done. They were beneficiaries of something that they took no part in. They're just kind of existing off of it, kind of living it. They were riding the faith of their ancestors. And so someone might come up to them and say, are you a Jew? And they go, well, yeah. My mom's a Jew. My dad's a Jew. My grandparents are Jews. And their grandparents and their grandparents. And we could probably trace our Jewish heritage all the way back to Abraham. That's how Jewish I am. So someone might say, are you a Christian? Your first response might be to say, well, my parents raised me to be a might say something like, look, I'm a church member. I'm a part of this group of people that are going to heaven. 
He might say, like, I've got Christian friends. Like, I only surround myself with good people. And so you might say, well, because of that, I'm automatically joined in with them by proximity. I'm, I'm going where they're going. But notice where that attention is. It's on the membership. It's on what they're a part of as a collective group. It's saying, I'm a part of the in-group, so therefore I'm going where the in-group is going. All of a sudden, salvation for them becomes more about proximity. You can't catch Christianity. You can't catch faith. Unfortunately, it is not as contagious as COVID. Because if it was, we'd have won the world over 100 times by now. Right? It's not something we can inherit. It's not something you can mooch off of someone else. Salvation is something that, that we can't through inheritance. The Bible is clear on that. Jeremiah 29, 25 through 26, Jesus is, the Lord is speaking to the people of Israel, declaration of judgment. Now listen to what he says. It says, look, the days are coming when I will punish all the circumcised yet uncircumcised, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the Ammonites, Moab, and all the inhabitants of the desert who clip the hair at their temples. That is all the people who get nice fades. Um, All the nations are uncircumcised, and the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in the heart. God is making it very clear that just having the notes, having the membership qualifications, does not guarantee you His grace. Understand that. God expects us to be devoted to Him depths of who we are. Not just physically. Not just in our presence here among other believers. But spiritually. He expects us to be devoted to Him. Committed to Him. Being a part of a church doesn't bring us salvation. Having Christian family and friends does not bring us salvation. Secondly, we see that their self-justification was moral and religious. So we talked about those those membership qualities and the proximity and the the being a part of the in-group that that makes us feel like we're doing the best we can, like we're doing a great job. We are true disciples because we're doing all these things. We're with the right people. Then we see that they're trying to justify themselves morally and religiously. What they say in verse 41 is, look, the days are... In verse 41, it says, we have one Father, God. Now, this is a theological statement. What I mean by that is they are making a truth claim that is informed by their religious experience. Does that make sense? They're claiming a truth based on their religious experience. Okay? That's what they're saying. In the Old Testament, it is taught that, that a Jew, if you're a part of the nation of Israel, God is your spiritual father. What they were missing out on is what it actually means to be a part of the nation of Israel. What it actually means to be a part of the kingdom of of God. Their faith and religious framework informed this, this idea, but it became twisted. It became warped because they saw themselves having done all the church things. They did all the church things. Maybe they sacrificed regularly. Maybe they went on all the pilgrimages. They went to the festivals. 
prayed the right prayers, they ate the right foods, they didn't eat the wrong foods. Maybe they thought that their church attendance is good enough or, or maybe keeping a Bible in their purse or in their car meant, look, I'm doing the things. I'm doing what I need. I'm good. You know, my, my old youth pastor used to say, um, or one of my old youth pastors used to say, don't drink, smoke, chew, or date girls that do, and you'll be fine. Right? Well, that's a little misleading. Right? Because then, guess where, guess where our understanding, guess where our focus is? It's on what we do. It becomes about what we do. How often we come to church, how often we take the Lord's Supper, whether or not we're baptized, becomes our salvation hinges on the religious practices that we do. And they might have, there's great value. But I'm not saying there's not great value. There's not great importance. I could preach a whole sermon on baptism and why it's important. Understand that that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is when we look to those things, and our salvation is confronted. When it, when it comes down to the question of whether or not we are a true disciple, if our mind immediately goes to the things that we've done, the things that we've accomplished, or the spiritual stuff that we've done, We've taken our eyes off of, off of what the gospel is. Religious activity is not enough. Paul, when, as Eric quoted earlier, Paul quoted how um, our works are like filthy rags. He says in Philippians 3, 4 through 6, and he's trying to explain that, that he has a right to boast in the flesh. He says, I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, that is, the things that he's done, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of zeal, a Pharisee, regarding, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, a persecutor of the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, I was blameless. Yet, he still says that all of that means nothing. In Ephesians 2.8, it says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast. Okay? So religious activity is not enough. The problem is, is this me faith is super subtle. You might be thinking, like, is it even really that big of a deal? Like, these are, these are kind of like itty-bitty little points, itty-bitty little sins, right? That's what makes them so dangerous. You see, we, in, our, in our Wednesday morning Bible studies, we talked last, week, talked last week about Scripture and the week before about the history of the Reformation. And that one thing that we've, we've discovered as we've walked through this history is just how easily we can allow our our instincts and our sinful desires and our me-ness to change the way we view our faith and to change the way we view God. So the challenge is how do we submit those things back to God? And that's the conflict that's taking place here between, between Jesus and his audience. Is He's trying to convince them, like, look, if you want to be my disciple, all of these things have to be submitted back to me. And what they respond with is, no, it's still mine. 
It's still for me. I get to, <laughs> I get to make the decision about what is and isn't right. And you can see this often because, because the person who lives uh, it's me faith, they are the center of their world. Even the way they determine their own salvation, the way they determine the salvation of others, it all of a sudden, all of a sudden becomes about doing things or how much they can accomplish, and then they measure the world against that. Their understanding of right and wrong is based on their preferences rather than God's word. That's what's taking place here. There's resistance. There's a natural resistance within our heart against God's word, especially when it affects our ego. How many of y'all can agree with that? I know I personally can. Sometimes I'm preparing a passage of scripture and I'm like, this is what the scripture says. And as I study it, I'm like, oh man, it doesn't say what I want it to say. I wish it did. But here's the thing. What it looks like to have a me-centered outlook on life is just what we've seen here. It's this constant self-justification, constant need to affirm ourselves. And what you see is right after this, they get so frustrated that they accuse Jesus of having a demon. They are so infuriated, so offended by his truth. Guess what they do? They accuse him of being the evil one. Man, just think about that for a minute. How often do we in our life resist God's truth? There might be someone here today who resists God's truth. Is it, is a, it has offended you. Is it has offended how important you think you are in the world. But what we see is that a true disciple makes much of God's word. How Jesus chooses to address this by showing the challenges that just naturally come up in our life is an amazing way of pointing us back to what we need. What we should see from this is that we are weak. We really are. We constantly need that light in our life. Christ says that he is the light of the world. He says that those who follow him will be children of the light. The Sermon on the Mount, one of the most challenging and personally convicting uh, moments is in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus tells us to say, Lord, keep us from There's a daily dependence on God, daily dependence on his word and his guidance to keep us safe from harm, to keep us safe from the enemy, to keep us safe from ourselves. A true disciple makes much of God's word. Verse 47, as he closes this passage, he says, the one who is from God listens to God's word. A true disciple values God's word. Well, a true disciple values God's word. And what we'll see is that a, a true disciple can recognize that scripture is a revelation for God. If you've, if you've attended my Wednesday morning Bible study, this is going to sound pretty familiar. Um, what scripture is, is it is an unveiling. The idea of revelation, what that means is to uncover something that was hidden. To reveal something means you're uncovering what was hidden. And so scripture 
is a revealing of God to man. It's a powerful thing. Revelations um, in God's word is a revelation of who he is. And by it, we learn of Christ. In James, it says that we are born again by the word of truth. So it's, as, as Pastor Ron was talking about last week and talking about salvation and putting our faith in Christ, we know of Christ because he was revealed to us through his word. And what is more is that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. In, in verses 38, 39 through 40, when, when, when they say to him, our father's Abraham, Jesus responds with, if you were Abraham's children, you would not do, you would do what Abraham did, but you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. So what Jesus is saying here is that if you are truly a disciple, if you truly follow me, you would recognize what, what I have brought you. You would recognize that I am the truth and that what the words I bring are truth. A true disciple will recognize that Scripture is a re- revelation from God. And secondly, a true disciple recognizes that, sorry, a true disciple cherishes Scripture as a gift from heaven. Because if, if we believe what I've just said about God's word. If we believe what Jesus says about his word and what scripture says about, about God's word being a revelation and unveiling, then we've got to understand that this is a wonderful gift. Verse 42, it says, Jesus says, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God. So if we recognize that, that scripture is the revelation of God then we would respond by cherishing that revelation because here's what happened. In the incarnation, when Christ became flesh, God came down and lived among you and me, revealed himself in a real, in a personal, and in a humble way. See, in Scripture, we're not just, we're not just reading stories about the past and we're not reading stories about a God who once worked in the past and doesn't work that way now. We're not reading stories about a God whose character has changed over time and he's less involved. What Scripture is, is the revelation of God in a very personal way. God's Word is living. It's active. And as Christ came down and was revealed to us, through Scripture we have access to a very personal, very loving, and a very concerned God. And if that's if we truly believe that, Scripture's something we ought to cherish, shouldn't it? It's something that ought to have an impact in our life. And as God calls us to continue in His Word, we see that a true disciple continues in God's Word. We have to recognize that this is the most important thing that we have. A guy named Warren Wearsby sums it up like this. It says, continuance in the word, that is discipleship, was proof of true salvation. When we obey his word, we grow in spiritual knowledge. And as we grow in spiritual knowledge, we grow in freedom from sin. Life leads to learning 
and learning leads to liberty. Because Jesus is talking about, um, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We've got to understand it's through God's word that we learn how to grow in maturity. This idea of discipleship that we're talking about for the next few weeks, it comes from continuing in God's word, abiding in it, letting yourselves be immersed in it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that the word of God is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's through God's word that we are revealed his greatness. It's through God's word that he renews our hearts and our minds. It helps us turn from our sinfulness. It helps us recognize our sins so that we can turn back to him. We must approach God's word humbly. Like like the people in this story, it's very easy for us to to self-justify. Not too long ago, I was sitting on my couch and I was eating a bunch of cheese balls that I'm not supposed to be doing. And my wife walks out and she sees my fruit roof. roof. She said, what are you doing? I said, nothing. And I put the, put the thing of cheese balls and like scooted it under the coffee table. She's like, are you eating cheese balls? You just ate dinner. But my response was, well, I'm hungry. And the truth is, I really wasn't hungry. It was just the cheese balls were there. Me being the weak person in the flesh that I am, I immediately just started eating the cheese balls. And I looked like Chubby Bunny. Like she came out, like it was perfect. Like she came out and there's probably orange all over my face. And I was like, I'm going hungry. I'm going hungry. Um, but the reality is, I wasn't all that hungry. I just immediately, my gut reaction was to find a way to explain why I did what I did. Maybe you've hurt people. Maybe you've hurt the church. Maybe you have a sin problem persistently. Maybe you try to explain it. I'm so stressed. The job is so busy. Life is so hard. It's so easy to do. When, when Jesus talks about the one who commits sin, he's talking about the one who continues in sin. The one who persists in sinning is the one who has allowed themselves to be enslaved to it and has not truly been freed by Christ. To truly be a disciple, Christ says that we will continue in his word. We will persist in it. We will abide in it. We will grow from it. We will thrive in it. At some point, we've got to ask ourselves, am I a slave to sin? Or have I been set free in Christ? Do I still bear the burden? Am I still working to try and get rid of it? Am I still trying to explain it away? Or am I trying to, to earn it through proximity or earn it through doing things in the church, through serving? I can't answer that question for you. You need to ask yourself, have I trusted Christ with all my sin? Have I turned to him? Have I that burden that I worked so hard to free myself of, has it been taken from me? Have I allowed it to rest on the shoulders of Christ as he took the punishment from God, the wrath that that you and I deserve? Have I been freed of that? 
I've been freed of that burden. The answer is no. Man, I challenge you. Don't wait. Make today an opportunity. Come down. Bless your son. You don't even have to come to me. You can go to someone else. We got deacons. We got Chuck here. If you don't want to talk to a guy, my wife's here and volunteering her. Like, you want to talk to her about it? And we we want to have that conversation with you. Because here's the thing: the freedom we have in Christ is a freedom to love Him freely, to not have to justify ourselves any longer, to not have to worry about the consequence of sin, to not try to explain it away, to not try and pawn it off through relationships, through or through the things that we do, but to truly be free. And in that freedom, there is a joy and a love to serve God and to continue in his word. And if you're a Christian here today, you are plagued with your own selfishness. Lay that at his feet. It's something that we struggle with. There's a reason Jesus addresses it. It's because it... Our instinct is broken. We're like Michael Scott eating those poisonous mushrooms. We need somebody to rescue us. We need somebody to help guide us, to help lead us. If you're struggling in your relationship with God and your relationship through his word, I challenge you, lay that at his feet today. Talk to a friend. Ask him for help. Ask him for accountability. Start a calendar where you know exactly what you're going to read throughout the week. Come back in his word. It's so important. We're weak without his guidance. We're weak without his help. I'm going to pray. Eric's going to come back up here. Guys, if you want to talk, man, there's a lot of people here that would love to have a conversation. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, for you, for your grace, for your mercy. God, the way you have saved us, the way you have freed us from our sin. God, I just pray for the people in this room today. God, I pray that they, that, that they know you pray that they have their faith in you, God, that they're not trying to live off the faith of someone else. They're not trying to live off the faith of their family. They're not trying to, um, to trust that uh, they're faithful because their parents told them that they're faithful, God, but that they truly know you. God, I pray that we would lay ourselves aside. God, we would make you the center of our relationship. God, it would not be about us. It would not be about our preferences, how we view sin or anything like that, God, but we would would look to you, we would look to your truth, and we would continue in it, to grow in it, to thrive in it. I pray that. We love you. We need you. We desperately.